Sal Berry. I hear that, and I just think this is ever the streets have no name. Right, like the <laughs> beginning of that song. And Tim Parrish. 18,000, not 100. That's a one and an eight, followed by three zero. I gotta find a different line of work, because I can't afford any of this stuff. You need to go get yourself a 7980 Opeachy uncut sheet. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Puck Junk Podcast. I'm Sal Barry. Along with me is Tim Parrish, aka the Real DFG on Twitter. And today we're going to talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2019. We'll talk a little bit of hockey cards, and we're going to talk a little bit about the happenings going on around the world of hockey. So, uh, Tim, how are you this uh, this fine day? I am wonderful this fine day. Wonderful yes. this fine day. Yes. And what a fine day it is. What a wonderful day it is, too. It's like it was George Carlin, fine and dandy. He's like fine people. Fine and dandy. He said he, he sometimes he was fine but not dandy, and sometimes he was dandy but not fine. But he just really wanted to be fine and dandy on the same day. My day gets better as soon as 5 o'clock hits. Then it's like the best day. Happy prior, hour. Prior to that, it kind of sucks. Or but, just punch yeah. out punch out of work and, 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 and a little Tim time. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, um, let's, uh, not much about, uh, hockey cards this week. I know upper deck series one came out. I haven't picked up any yet. Um, I'm going to be going to a show this weekend. I'll probably grab some. I'll talk more about that show in a little bit. Um, as far as game dated moments for week six. So we have cards 16, 17, and 18 card. Number 16 is Zdeno Chara's 1500th NHL game. Card 17, Lightning Sweep the Sabres in the Global Series. And card number 18, Connor McDavid records 400th career point. If you're wanting to buy any of those cards, go to UpperDeckEPAC.com. You have to purchase a pack of cards on EPAC, and then that will unlock the ability for you to buy these other cards. Um, Neither Tim nor I are really collecting these, so we don't really have much to say about that. However, Tops Now, which has kind of been a little passion project of mine, the Tops Now hockey stickers. So for week seven, uh, Corey Perry, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, Brad Marchand, Jack Eichel, Kirby Doc, uh, Andrei Svechnikov, Morgan Frost, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Steve Stamkos are the lineup of stickers. As far as last week, which was Tops Now week six, the print run was 846 packs. And that was another... Uh, that was another week with a chase insert. That one had a chase insert of Connor McDavid that was designed to look like a 60-61 tops hockey card. Now I'm going to tell you something shocking and surprising about week six. You ready? I'm ready. I forgot to order a pack of stickers that week. Oh, no. I literally, I went to do it, and I... <laughs> I got, you know, the thing was, is I was doing a wait and see because it was, it was a, 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 an every three weeks. So it was week six. So it was a chase sticker week. So I wanted to see what the other stickers were going to be that week. And if it was going to be like a lot of really good players, then I was going to probably buy five packs like I did for week three and try to get that chase Connor McDavid. And if right. it was going to be like a weaker group, then I was going to only buy one, but I forgot to buy when I when I went when I sat down to buy the pack it was sold out I had missed it by minutes I just wasn't even thinking like because I was doing it on Thursday and I just I just blew it 
Oh no. Yeah. That's not so good. that's not yeah, good. Yeah. So there goes my my my. You're gonna have holes in your sticker album. Well, okay. So here's a couple of things. So the first thing I did was I went to eBay and I said, of course somebody is buying these and pre-selling them, and they're probably gonna buy like a hundred packs and try to get as many Chase Connor McDavid's as they can. So I actually bought from somebody. Now they don't have the stickers yet, so I don't have the stickers yet. But instead of paying seven forty nine plus tax, which comes out to just under eight bucks for nine stickers, I paid this person five twenty five, including shipping, for those nine stickers. So as soon as he gets them, he will send them to me. So it'll take a little longer, but whatever. Um, still, after I did that, I said, "Okay, but I still am not going to be eligible to get those All Star stickers with you buy between week one and the All Star week." Then you get the all-star sticker set. And I'm like, oh, no. Because you have to be registered as having purchased them, right? Right, because I didn't purchase that week. So through Tops. So I emailed Tops and their their customer service. I emailed uh, Tops customer service and I just explained what happened. And I said, I just want to be eligible for the all-star stickers. Can you just pretend like I bought a week six pack? Because I am like all in on this set, right? Like I, I, I want to do this set, but I missed a week, right? Well, it's been almost a week and they haven't replied to me. So huh. there's big, Top's customer Big shock there. Yeah, it ranks right up there with uh, Panini's customer service and my, uh, my redemption card that took like four years to get or whatever. Um, but well, uh, if oh, you go miss ahead. them going forward, I can tell you this. They're already starting to hit Com C. Really? So with people's getting their shipments, they've already been sending them in. Uh-huh. So I don't know. What does it work out to for a pack? It's like a buck a sticker. It's a buck a sticker. Okay. Most of them, well, a lot of them are anywhere from a buck fifty to two bucks, except for like the the Caco one and the Cody right. Glass one and the Jack Hughes one. Mm-hmm. Those ones are more. Um, but yeah, so I, I imagine just like the game dated moments people have cashed out on and put into their comp C accounts, I imagine these will eventually trickle their way over there too. So, so I did get the uh, I did get the sticker album, and I finally had a chance to open it and look at it. And I will and and the week one pack, and I'll tell you that the stickers are very nice. Uh, according to the text on the Tops website, the stickers are printed in premium sticker technology, as they call it. I mean, that's literally what they say, premium sticker technology. They're nice stickers, though. They're almost like hardback stickers, not quite. Um, but they are really, um, they look like, the design is good. They're just smaller than cards. Um, I haven't peeled and stuck any of them in yet. Uh, so I got Don't that do it. It's a trap. It's a trap, right. Yes. Um, you cannot unstick what you stick, right? Exactly like, right. So um, then what, that actually came out really wrong. <laughs> um, so um, then I got my week three shipment, which was five packs. And one pack had the uh, the, the uh, Kako uh, Bowman style card. So out of five packs, one of them had it. The one's at the bottom of the pack. So, 
whoever's packing them out at the factory when they're just doing this, you know, they could look and say, okay, this one has uh, has the Chase sticker because they're they're numbered like C1, C2, C3 for Chase. So I did get one one out of five packs had a Chase sticker in the in the Bowman style of uh, of, of Kako. Um, At least you got but, one. Yeah, um, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Um, it's a little smaller than a card, but it's it's cool. It's, it's, it's neat, um, even though I'm not really uh, a fan of the Bowman design. What does the back look like? Flip oh, it's around so literally, literally just a sticker back. I mean, that's all it is. It's just a sticker back. Okay, with a bunch yeah. of fine print. Bunch yeah. of fine prints, NHL, NHLPA, blah, 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 blah. But um, now here's the other thing. So... The chase stickers, there's actually a page for them in the album. Which, oh, really? Which pisses me off because now they're not really, excuse me, they're chase stickers, but they're not like bonuses. You you need them if you want to fill every spot in the book. You yeah. need them. So now that's annoying. And then on top of that, um, the All-Star sticker set and the Stanley Cup sticker set that will come, you know, the, those are the incentives for you for buying them every week. There's only three stickers for each thing. So I can't see that All-Star one selling for a heck of a lot of money. And I probably wouldn't be surprised if Tops made it available for purchase because uh, because if you don't buy them every week, how do you... I mean, it's it's like it's okay to say, hey, you bought them every week. Here's this bonus set. Thank you. But... The people who buy them almost every week, it's like, okay, so how do I get these stickers? Like, you literally put spots for them in the book. Yeah. So, I, I don't know about that. Like, that, that I find that a little annoying. Um, I kind of have a feeling, though, that they're probably not going to be that hard to pick up. I mean, again, they're stickers, and stickers are the redheaded stepchild of, of card collecting. So... Well, once the newness wears off and all of that kind of stuff, yeah, I think you'll probably be able to track them down. Yeah, so um, oh, so I know they were tops was up at the uh, um, what the expo, call it? the fall the expo. expo. Yeah, they were up at the expo, like giving out, um, supposedly giving out free packs of stickers, like the week one packs, as well oh, really? as the as well as the albums oh, to various that's cool. people. That's what I heard. Okay, so yeah, so those are gonna those are gonna find their way around. Just because they sell eight hundred packs or six hundred packs doesn't necessarily mean that that's as many as they're gonna produce. I mean, well, that's the thing it, that made it interesting to me because when we were talking a few weeks ago when they first started with week one, and then when week two came out, we looked back at week one and saw okay, they sold X. Well, right. If they have a bunch of packs that they can just give out to people. Or those part of the can ones considered to be sold, or are those additional? I, I don't so know. So is that fourteen hundred and whatever it was count from week one really two thousand instead of fourteen hundred? I don't no, know. No, you know what? You're right. That's a good point. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, um, so that's interesting. Unless they're different, and then if they're different, why is there no record of them being different? Right. Well, or did they stamp them as, you know, sports card expo exclusives or I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I think what's tricky about this is that like with Tops Now cards, and I don't own any of them, but it seems like you really just pick and choose the ones you want to buy. 
because they bounce around from sports and other subjects. Or, sorry, sports, but different sports. Um, right. It's not like this where you have you're locked in and you have to keep buying each week or whatever. You just get what you get. Right. Right. And and so I could see like if I'm like uh, it's kind of like game dated moments, but maybe not so much like that's even like a sequential set. And uh, tops now cards are more like, you know, oh, OK, I like this player. I'll buy it. Or I oh, they're talking about soccer this week and I like soccer, so I'll buy this card. Sure. But, um, yeah, with the sticker set, see, I think it's hard then, like, you know, when you make f- almost 1,500 packs of week one, and then when you're getting down to only, like, 480 packs of, like, week whatever, I mean, do you really just stop it there, or do you make a few more? I mean, I understand that th- they say that's what the print run is, so that's what they should respect. But this probably wouldn't be the first time a company did- didn't do that. Well, and... At the same time, if it does get down to that, like we're predicting slash not predicting, um, do those later week issues then become, you know, okay, week one, you can find these for a buck. Week 30, uh, a base card or a base sticker is going to cost you 30 bucks if you can find it on the secondary market just because right. of the supposed scarcity of it. And then yeah. come to find out they show up at some national or, or expo show or regional, you know, like the East coast national or the big Chicago spectacular or one of these shows and start handing stuff out. Like, here you go. Here you go. Wait a yeah. minute. I thought these were sold. I guess if you're not stamping them with serial numbers, you can pretty much say whatever you want. That's true. So um, speaking of shows, uh, so this weekend is the Chicago Sports Spectacular. Um, It's actually in the suburb of Rosemont. It's going to be at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center, Center, November 22nd to 24th. I will be selling at that show. I will be uh, splitting a booth with another uh, seller. His eBay store is Vintage Graphs. Uh, this guy uh, that I've known for years, he sells on eBay. He sells at a lot of shows. He's really into vintage hockey memorabilia. So I'm going to be splitting booth space with him. I'm going to be selling Puck Junk t-shirts. Uh, if you, The shirts that you've seen at shop.puckjunk.com. Uh, got a couple different ones that have uh, hockey wrapper designs and also... Um, couple that are like beer league rec league hockey shirts i'm also going to be unveiling a new shirt uh not on the website yet that i'm going to be selling at the show uh this weekend and then i'll eventually put those on the site um ooh, ooh yeah surprise right limited so if, edition no nah, not necessarily limited they're not numbered or, or, oh. or serial numbered or anything but it's just something that i just got the shipment in and i don't have the time to put them on the website so i'm going to take them to the show sell them at the show but then next week i'll put them on the website so if you're not able to make it to the show um you know definitely go to shop.puckjunk.com and uh, sign up for the newsletter so you'll get new product announcements um and if you do come to the show um i'm not sure what booth number i'm at i think it's like he said he thinks it's like number 30 or something it's it's gonna be closer to the side where they have the autographs like closer to that half of the show like like one of the first few aisles, um, not the other side, all the way by the bathrooms with the side closer to where you get in. So, um, you know, come in, say hi. Um, I'll be wearing one of my brightly colored puck junk wrapper t-shirts. 
Um, and uh, yeah, this could be a first for me. I'm going to go to a show and not spend any money. <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah, those so, shows uh, are always a fun time. Yeah, they are, and and I like it. And I mean, it's 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 how you and I got to know each other, and it's how uh, you know you and I got to know like Justin and. Uh, there was Nick and, uh, you know, a couple other people that we got to know through through the years and a lot of the dealers and, and, and stuff that we know. So, yeah, it is it is a fun time. But, you know, honestly, I liked selling at shows in the 90s and I tried doing a show like nine years ago and it just I, I just it was a bomb. And I didn't look back. I said, all right, I'm out. I can't do this. It's 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 too much money, too much work. And it's like I had to work really hard to make back my table. The difference this time is that I'm I'm selling different stuff. I'm selling stuff that's unique, and I'm selling well my shirts um, that are unique. And also the price point is a little bit higher than like a two dollar or three dollar card. I mean, I remember having like a Brian Bickle Redemption rookie, and I think I had it at like three fifty or something. And some guy looked at me and he's like, "This is the best you can do." I'm like. And it was like, actually, it was probably like a six or seven dollar card. And I think I just priced it. Well, I mean, that was back when Bickle was like a promising young player with the Blackhawks. And it was a redemption rookie. And I thought it was a fair price. But it was just like, oh, come on, dude, three fifty or maybe it was three dollars. And it was it was I don't know. It's just it, it's it's hard when you have like two dollars worth of cards and the person wants to know if you could do better than the two dollars and <laughs> it's a little disheartening so i gotta gotta set but you gotta, know that's the game from being on the other side too yeah, that, do, that's kind of the game nah but you know like, i don't couple... i don't ever get into those discussions with dealers though over you know oh it's three bucks will you take a dollar i don't ever do that okay you know what if it's a hundred dollars will you take 85 that's different. Right. Right. Because it's how much, you know, how sometimes it's, oh, it's that's a, matter... a quarter box. Can we make it a 20 cent box? Yeah. yeah let's yeah. make it a nickel box. Yeah. No. Um, I, I think, okay. So what was it? Um, I remember like one time I was at a show and somebody had a, a it was an 85, 86 tops hockey set. It was missing Patrick Wah, which is, you know, that's a, big deal that's a big that's the big card i had a wow tops rookie card already so i said oh is that a complete set he says it's missing the patrick wah card and i said oh well yeah that's kind of the big one he goes yeah i know he said but otherwise it's complete it's in mint shape it's got the lemieux uh second year card unmarked checklist and i'm like how much and he's like 60 dollars. and i thought about it i said would you take 50 because in my mind it's a hundred dollar set and the Tops Wah is about a $50 rookie card. And he said, yeah, sure. Because to me, that made sense. Because if it was like a hundred bucks with the Wah, I'd be like, no problem. But with yeah. minus the Wah, I'm like, all right. And, and, and okay, that's, that's a little different, but I'll tell you this at the national, somebody had something for $3 and I picked it up. I had talked to this dealer before we kind of had a little bit of a rapport. I picked it up and I said, I know this is, in the $3 box. I said, but I really cannot pay more than a dollar for this. Will you let it go for a dollar? And it was a, um, it was a, like a two or I think it was a three card strip of like, I want to say they were classic promo cards or something like that. And 
I would have felt dirty paying $3 for that. <laughs> I think it should have been a quarter. That, to me, that's a quarter box item, you know, because it's just like, oh. Usually those see, things are so banged up, you don't even want them for that. This one was a little banged up, but I liked it because it, it had, like, some sell sheet information on it, like, oh, coming okay. out this month and blah, blah, blah. And so I like that sort of promotional stuff. And so I said, you know, I know it's a $3 card, but or $3 item, but would you let it go for a dollar? And he said, but he said, like, he smiled and said, but it's in the $3 box. I said, I know. And I literally said, but I'd feel dirty spending more than a dollar on this. And he said, okay. And he's like, yeah, I remember getting that back in the national 1992 or something. They were passing them out at the classic booth or whatever. And I said, well, this is going right into a page and into a binder and into my collection. Thank you. You know, so, um, cause I can't break the bank on stupid stuff like that. You know, it's like if, if. It's like somebody trying to sell like a Men on Rayum promo card for $20 and you go, come on, we love Men on, but this is a quarter card. If it's an autograph card, then it's obviously worth a lot more than that. No disrespect there, but I'm just saying um, if yeah. it's, you know, a, a, a classic promo card or, or something like that, you know, Ball Street price guide or something like that, then I, I can't spend a dollar on after two dollars or five what you know whatever ridiculous price they may have cooked up for it years ago speaking of autographs are you gonna partake in any of the many many guests that are gonna be there over the weekend no the only oh. the only time there, i'll pay for, i was yeah, gonna say I, I i saw that over the three days there's only three hockey people although friday the dominator is going to be there yeah, so. and that's tempting because I would love my ninety-one, ninety-two uh, upper deck rookie card signed by Hashek. Yeah, that would well, be I nice. thought the interesting thing was, you know, they always promote these shows and they pack them full of Chicago sports people. Mm-hmm. So you think back, okay, we're going to have Dominic Hashek here. He played for the Blackhawks. Let's use a Blackhawks Hashek photo as our promo picture no they have a picture of him in his buffalo sabers no because they know if they if they they know that if they picture dominic hashik in a blackhawks jersey it is just going to make me cry oh so this was geared towards you is that what it was they knew they knew that they knew i'd be triggered they'd be triggered i'd start thinking of christian rutu and i'd start pulling my hair out and i'd start thinking of that scene in sudden death where Van Dam is disguised as the Penguins goalie and he comes up and he grabs the first player he see who's wearing a Rutu jersey and then just and punches him right him. in the yeah. face and I go yeah. yeah that's for that's for being traded for Dominic Hasek that's what you get well he's there Friday and then on Sunday Dylan Strom and Calvin DeHaan are going to be there but other nice. than that there's no other hockey guests the rest of the time but it, I mean the autograph it's jam-packed full of people. Like Friday is, it's White Sox galore. So if you're a White Sox collector, that's the day to be there. There's also some bears on the list, but I noticed there's a lot of wrestlers. I don't think I've seen that in the last, the last few shows. There's well, a ton. I'll tell you this: the Undertaker's going to be there on Saturday. The genius, the Undertaker, it is genius that they are bringing in wrestlers to these shows. Now, I don't think wrestling is a sport. I we know it's not a sport. It's but entertainment. People will argue, oh, these guys work as hard as any athlete, and I get it, but it's still scripted. It's like if you know, if uh, 
if 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 Ovechkin is 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 on a breakaway and then you know he like winks to you know Corey Crawford and then Crawford knows to dive this way so that Ovechkin can shoot the puck that way. I mean, it's, I'm that's, pretty sure that's, that is how it works, isn't it? It, it? Yeah, Ovi just has to wink and smile, and the goalie the goalie anytime, moves. No. Anytime he stands over by the faceoff circle and just blasts a shot, it always goes in. So, um, but I will say this. Bringing in wrestlers to these sorts of shows brings in a different demographic, and that is what these card shows need, is they need more people coming to them. I was uh, waiting in line. I forgot who I was waiting in line for. It was at the National. I was getting something signed for somebody, and I was waiting in line, and there was people lining up for Hulk Hogan, for photos with Hulk Hogan, and these people came in costume. There was a whole family all dressed like Hulk Hogan. They were all dressed like in Hulkamania stuff. There was another group of people. They were all dressed like different wrestlers. uh, And they were doing this so that they could get their photo taken with Hulk Hogan. And they were also dressed as wrestlers. And then, you know, they were also getting things signed. Some of them were then getting those photos that were just printed for them signed. And I think at first I kind of laughed. But then I thought about it and I said, no, this is a good thing. This is a good thing because people who like really like wrestling can also be casual fans of other sports. And I think that and and so I I think that's good. I think it's good to bring more people to shows. And if if it's um, people who there's like definitely a lot on yeah. the list, though, I mean, great. Greg the Hammer Valentine. You remember that guy? I don't. He, he's going to be there. Uh, Jimmy Hart. I was on the list. Like I said, the Undertaker's supposed to be there. I saw, I think, one of the Bushwhackers. Um, okay, my 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 knowledge of wrestling, Abdullah the Butcher. No, no, my knowledge of wrestling is limited to whoever was on a uh, on a Slurpee Cup in the '80s, or whoever was on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon, and that was oh, pretty geez. much it. So if I said the name Rocky Maivia, you wouldn't have any clue who that is. Nope. Um, so you know who the rock is, right? So that's, yeah, that's a uh, rock's dad. Yeah. He, so he's, he's also, gonna, he's gonna be there signing. So the rock didn't fall too far from the Rocky. Yeah. Um, but Sunday, it's going to be a happy day there on Sunday. Oh, why is that? Because not only can you get the, the Fonz's autograph, Henry Winkler, but Ralph Mouth and Potsy are both going to be there too. Wow. So that's the day to go if you're looking for autographs. To get yeah, unfortunately, the only the person, only person, only person I'd want an autograph from from Happy Days is Pat Morita, and he's long gone. Yeah, he wouldn't be, he won't be getting that one. But a lot of football, you know, a lot of football stars going to be there. I mean, it's it's a pretty good list for just a, you know, a twice a, a year show. regional show. So. I've never been to the Toronto show, but I understand that. This show seems to be as big as a Toronto show or the other way around. I believe the national, I mean, the national is the biggest card show, but then sports spectacular from what dealers have told me. And these are dealers who've been all over North America. They've said that the fall and spring shows in Chicago are second only to the national in size. Really? So, Cause I know yeah. people talk about the, uh, well, they, they call it the East coast national all the time mm-hmm. uh, as being a pretty, pretty big show um as well but uh, i've only been to the chicago one obviously the national when it's been in chicago i've never been to the toronto show either but 
It's definitely on the bucket list. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, why don't we uh, talk about Hockey Hall of Fame Class of 2019? You said you tuned into the uh, induction ceremony on Monday. I did. I did. Um, I watched the whole thing, plus okay. pre pre ceremony events and listened to a lot of the interviews that were done on uh, NHL radio beforehand. Okay, hold on a second. I I haven't watched the show yet. Oh, I won't um, spoil it for you then. Yeah, well, actually, but can you? Well, you can uh, spoil this one thing for me. Did they all get in? Um, it was a close call, but yes, they all got in. They all got in. Okay, yeah. so so Zuboff got in too. Yes, he did okay. too. Okay, okay, good. All right, that's good. All right, all right. I feel better now. You know, I mean, you know, just uh, um, yeah. So, so okay. They um, they it started off like. Obviously, the big thing with the show and the ceremony by itself is, you know, each of the uh, inductees gets up and gives their speech and thanks everybody that's ever done anything for them in their whole entire lives and the people that kind of paved the way for them to get to where they were. So I was kind of interested to hear some of the speeches. Um, They they started off with Jim Rutherford, Mm -hmm. um, who was brought in as the uh, in the builder category. Um, and for those that may not know who Jim Rutherford is, he's the current GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, he, um, you know, after the, who was it? Uh, Peter Carmanos, uh, picked up the, uh, ownership of the Whalers mm-hmm. back in 94. Rutherford was part owner, um, and was put in charge as the GM of the Hartford Whalers. He was the one that was in charge when they moved to Carolina mm-hmm. and kind of set up the team for success going forward and helped them to their um, uh, Stanley Cup run. And then four years after that, their Stanley Cup win, um, winning the championship there. And then when he took over the job in Pittsburgh, obviously they won back-to-back cups in Pittsburgh too. So, he was also a player. A lot of people don't realize he was a player. He was a goaltender, um, played in the league for, um, I don't remember how many seasons he was actually in there, but he actually got up and he gave his speech, believe it or not, you know, obviously being a Penguins fan and everything else, it was kind of cool to see Mario Lemieux was the one that came out and handed him his plaque and took the picture mm-hmm. with him. So it's kind of cool being inducted into the hall of fame and, getting the plaque handed to you from your boss, I guess. It'd be <laughs> kind of cool. But um, I'll tell you what, of all the speeches, his mm-hmm. was by far, no offense, the most boring. I mean, really? It was boring. It was very, like, droned on and on and on. And I was just like, come on, Jim, you know, do something here. He, he tried to crack a couple jokes, and I don't think anybody got it or they laughed. So that was one of those things where he went on, but, um, you know, something that, something that I noted as we were going, kind of going through and watching is, you know, traditionally you get guys that get elected into the hall or girls. Um, and I always go back and look and I'm like, you know, this was a great player. This was, you know, somebody in the top 10 scoring or this and that and the other. Generally they have like a lot of, a lot of hobby traction. Mm Mm-hmm especially being in the hall of fame mm-hmm. hockey is a little different though. Cause you have a lot of 
obviously you'll never find out what the criteria is from the hockey hall of fame committee. They'll never tell you no one ever. It's like one of the biggest secrets is what they use for criteria to bring guys in and everybody speculates and you talk about it all the time. Oh, is it games played? Is it goals? Is it Mm -hmm. points? Is it, you know, this and that and the other. And you never really know. Obviously you want to say it's a combination of everything, but some of these guys have quite a few hockey cards that are out there. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't. I mean, Rutherford, for instance, he's got like 112 cards. Um, that have been made of him. I didn't realize he had that many. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew he was a player. You know, his first cards were kind of regional releases back in the early seventies. He had SO set. He had an SO set. He also had a marathon uh, one that came out. I think a year before the SO set, but like his real rookie card, or what's considered his real rookie card, is the seventy two, seventy three, OPG and tops, and. The thing is, he's now a Hall of Famer. He's been a GM for quite a while. Most people probably, you know, older generations obviously remember him as a player. But you can usually find his Topps or Opeachy card for a buck or two, depending on the condition. Maybe a little more if it's in better better shape. But from a graded standpoint, you don't see many of these selling because I don't know that he would have been considered a star player. Um, I found like a couple sales um, of graded versions of his cards that were like 10, 20 bucks. Okay. So, and high grades are rare. So we're talking those were probably sixes and sevens. Yeah. So I imagine the more people get into the Hall of Fame, like lesser known players, if they have cards that are out there, those cards will then all of a sudden surface because people start digging through boxes and end up finding these things and kind of going from there. But, uh, yeah, so he was, he was the first, uh, first speech. And, uh, I would, I would rate him on the bottom of the evening of all of the, all of the speeches that, that went through. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy Carboneau went in there. Um, Guy's got way more hobby love out there. He's got over 600 cards that exist. Well, played for been... the Canadiens. So, yeah, I mean, so, that's... Yeah, he's played for Montreal. I am, you know, the last, he's actually the last Montreal captain to to hoist the cup and probably will be for a very long time. He was the Uh, captain in 93? Yeah. Um, Oh, okay, cool. But he's been eligible for the Hall for like 19 years. But Guy Carboneau, I remember growing up as a kid, anytime the Penguins played Montreal, there was always a situation where there was this guy out of there on the ice that would dive in front of people's shots. You mean there was and a like, gee out there who would dive. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not a guy. There was a gee, not a guy. This guy was he was it was crazy. You just didn't, you didn't see that back then. I mean, he was the number one player in his craft. Obviously the best defensive forward that probably arguably ever and especially during that time period when he was coming up, you know, the guy got three Selkie trophies, um, two Stanley cups, you know, I think, uh, he had the one with one with the Habs and then he got, uh, one with, uh, Dallas later on. Um, but it was interesting because 
if you look at the reason why Montreal won that cup in 93 is because the great one was kept off the scoreboard for the bulk of, of the Stanley cup finals. Now you're talking, you're talking Gretzky had 33 points going into the finals. So on all of the playoffs up to that point, he already had 33 points in the playoffs. So this guy was going to destroy you. And after game one, he had even more because he scored a goal and had four points in just that game. Mm -hmm. And after the game was over, um, you know, he went to his coach and he said, put me on Gretzky. Mm -hmm. I want to be on Gretzky for the rest of the, for the rest of the finals. And and uh, I think was it Jacques Demers was the coach at the time, and he's like, okay, and he he did. And after that, Gretzky was shut down from that yeah. point on. I mean, I think he had one goal and two assists the rest of the playoffs, and you know, the Kings went down in flames. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, he's one of the best defensive forwards that ever played the game. Uh, he doesn't really get much hobby love. You know, his rookie card was an 83-84. Yeah. Uh, there was no tops. It was only OPG. Tops quit printing at that time. But there so. was a ton of OPG. That, like, a lot of 82-83 and 83-84 OPG were produced in higher quantities, and U.S. card shops sure. were actually buying them. So that's why, I mean, I remember when I started collecting in the late 80s, collecting hockey, 83, 84, and 82, 83 OPG cards were pretty easy to find at card shops. Like, they'd have those two years, but they wouldn't really have any OPG before that or just a few here and there. And they wouldn't really have a lot of OPG after that until, like, maybe 89, 90. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 a good card, but it's obviously it's, it, it's kind of – it's overproduced as far yeah. as, like, 80s. Uh, and, you, and you'll see that kind of reflected in card prices for it. Cause I mean, it, you know, if we're going down this path and you are a, a hall of fame collector and you're looking for that kind of thing, you know, you can find it, that, that card raw grade, you know, for a few bucks, five to five to 10 bucks would be the max I would see on that mm -hmm. grade. I mean, even graded, they're not really that high. Um, eights go for 20 to 25 nines at 35 to 40 mm -hmm. and I haven't seen a grade 10, but again, you're talking a mid, you know, early eighties period of just OPG. And some of those cards are just so badly miscut mm -hmm. and off center. And there's a lot of that. So I don't know that there's even a 10 out there. I didn't check any of the, the registries or not to see it, but so I think, you know, he's, he's been greatly ignored. Um, Probably because he doesn't have the offensive numbers that maybe some guys ahead of him would. Yeah. And I think, I think the fact that he's being recognized as being, you know, probably the best defensive forward, um, at least of his time, if not arguably, you know, in the top, probably in the top three, definitely top five of all mm -hmm. time. Um, I don't know. Does that open the door for others like that were like him going forward? You think maybe like Rod Brindamore or, I mean, if he goes in, what about Yuri Lettinen from from Dallas? 
I mean, that's that was his job. That's what he did. I they don't win what, the cup without him. I, I think what's I don't know. I, I don't I don't have an answer off the top of my head. Uh, but I do think about something that you said earlier that was interesting. You said there is no known formula for how players get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. It just happens. We don't know what the selection committee uh, says or does or thinks. But we know that over time, it, the committee changes. People leave. Other people come on. And I think what happens is, is you get a fresh perspective uh, from new people. And then I think another thing is, is that people look back. It's like anything. Like when you're in the moment, you don't think about it. And when you look back at something, you say, oh, yeah, you know what? That was pretty good. Now, somebody like Yager, when he retires, Yarmir Yager, that's a no-brainer. We know that he had, he's he got the numbers. You can just look at the stat sheet and say, yeah, he was a great player. He should be in the Hall of Fame as soon as he's eligible. And a lot of the guys playing now, Crosby, Ovechkin, yeah, you know that they should be there. But then you're going to look, there's going to be other players where you look at, say, like, say, for instance, Jonathan Taves, right? Jonathan Taves is a damn good player, but is he Hall of Fame worthy? I love the Blackhawks. I love Taves. I don't know. I mean, he, he's won the Selk tro- Selkie Trophy. He, he's been MVP. He's he's won a lot of awards. Yeah, he'll probably make the Hall of Fame. But you He's know, got the Cups, too. He's got the Cups. But when I think of somebody like Crosby, like, no comparison between the two. And, you know, I'll always choose for the Blackhawks over the Penguins. But, you know, in that case, no, Crosby is an obvious lock for the Hall of Fame. But I think when you look back 10 years later or 20 years later, you have this different perspective. You can kind of, you know, everybody from that era is retired by then. You can kind of compare apples to apples and apples to oranges and then say, yeah, you know what? This guy actually had a really good career. He should be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if the player gets inducted later on. The, 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 the point is, is that somebody or the committee felt like they were worthy. And usually there's a lot of fans who are going to agree with them. And you know what, unless you're Gretzky, Lemieux, or, or how there's going to be people, some people who disagree. Well, maybe not a lot, but always just a few. And that's the argument that comes up is, is this, you know, the hall of fame is meant for the greatest ever. Are we, are we just turning this into the hall of mediocre? Yeah, but what's great. Okay. So it's easy to say, Oh, Pavel Bure, he was great because he scored a lot of goals and he was fast, although he had some not-so-great years at the end. Yeah, but Bure was pretty good. But he was pretty damn good, right? Yeah. Or like Alex McGillney, right? Same thing, he was... Well, there's the there's that argument, because McGillney's right. not in there, so uh, does he deserve to be? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, apparently not. I mean, I'm, I've been lobbying for Roenick, Jeremy Roenick, for years. And Roenick's name comes up a lot. Yeah, and, and, th- and that's the thing and with with Carboneau going in, you know, there's always been the thing where, well, it's offense, offense, offense. Well, now all of a sudden you've given a defensive forward the opportunity to be in the hall. Does that open the door to the defensive defensemen then? Because look at how many great defensemen there were that weren't goal scorers, but were just plain and simple shut down defensemen. Mm-hmm. Those guys aren't in the hall. You know, those guys that made a career out of putting their lives on the line and blocking shots and getting out there and just, you know, totally making the other team non-existent offensively, 
you know, those guys don't get the love because they don't show up on the scoreboard. No, so I don't right. know. I don't know. And should they even be in there? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It, but I mean, from, from the standpoint of, of this particular selection, Carbono, I, I'm surprised he didn't get in earlier, but I think that's the thing. He's a defensive player he was great offensively in, in juniors and everything else, but once he got to the NHL, you know, they changed his game and they decided to make him kind of a different player. Mm-hmm. So um so moving on to the, the other guys that got in. Um oh and by in his speech he did it both in uh English and French. Of course. So it was kind of back and forth and back and forth between the two and I kept asking my wife, what's he saying? What's he saying? And she kept yelling at me saying, I don't speak French. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, so, um, so Sergei Zuboff goes in. Um, Sergei Zuboff holds a special place in my heart. Um, you know, if it, if it wasn't for the one for one trade of, Alex Stoyanov from Vancouver for Marcus Naslin. The uh, Zuboff trade would be would have been the worst, worst one for one trade the Penguins ever made, at least in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's a guy that was a fifth round pick by the Rangers. You know, right about the time where all the Russians were getting all the attention and being mm-hmm. scouted and everything else. Um, you know, he got targeted. You know, he was ahead of his time. I mean, this. Here's a guy that played defense like every team in today's NHL wants a defensive player. Um, you know, Zuboff was a, a very offensive-minded and very, very, very good on the power play. Mm-hmm. I mean... Um, he had a lot of points. He, he did. I mean, he had a lot. And like I said, I remember him playing for the Penguins for a minute. Um, you know, they picked him up from the Rangers. He had won a cup with the Rangers. Um, and in fact, he's, uh, one of the first Russians that was Russian born and Russian trained Mm -hmm. to have his name etched on the cup. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, the Penguins picked him up for, um, Ulf Samuelson and Luke Robitaille. Um, we traded both of those guys for him and Peter Nedved. And um, I thought he was going to be a, a penguin for a long time because just because of the way he played. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a power play captain and he made the penguins the best power play in the league when he came to him and it didn't take long. And he did the same thing in New York when he was there. And then they go and trade him straight up for Kevin Hatcher because they decided we don't need skill. We've got Lemieux. We've got Yager. We've got Francis. We've got, you know, Thomas Sandstrom, we've got mm-hmm. Peter Nedved. All these guys are scoring, you know, tons and tons of points. 600, in fact, during that year between those five guys, wow. six guys. Um, but they didn't need Zuboff. He was like the sixth or seventh scorer on the, on the team at the time. And so they were like, we need to get bigger and, and tougher. Even though they traded Samuelson in the first place to get him, so they decided to trade for Kevin Hatcher straight up to the Stars, and well, then you move on from history there, and you see he wins another Cup in Dallas. So, um, 
And he didn't want to get traded either. And I remember that story because it was in the paper <laughs> and he told his agent to void the trade because how could there be, what, what, how did he quote it? It was something like, um, oh, hockey in Texas. That was his, that was his thing. He had no, <laughs> no clue that there could actually be hockey in Texas. And so I was hoping he would have mentioned it and he did. Um, during his speech, he brought that up. Uh, being traded from uh, Pittsburgh to Dallas and how he, he flat out told his agent, nope, I'm not going. <laughs> He's like, you need to cancel this trade or figure out what to do. So, But he did. He went. Um, but he went, and, you know, there it is. And, again, here's a guy that from a, from a Hall of Fame standpoint, he's kind of a unique player. This is a offensive-minded defenseman that played in a time where you didn't really have many of those types of guys. And in today's NHL, this is what teams build themselves around, or mm-hmm. offensive defensemen. And so he was you know, a little ahead of his time. Now, he gets in the hall. If you're looking at offense, though, he has fewer points than Doug Wilson. Oh, don't get also, me started. Don't get me started. Yeah, who also won a Norris trophy. So, oh, I know. But Doug Wilson's not in He's got less points than Sergei Gonchar, who's not in the hall. Um, so does that make their door open now? I don't know. It's like the Guy Carboneau argument. Are defensive players now eligible? I don't know. You know, do we start looking at these other guys because of this? But I think his impact in other ways was a bigger measurement. You know, that's why that's kind of why he's in there. Um, you know, leadership and all that kind of stuff kind of helps. And, you know, he helped the stars win the cup as well as the Rangers. So I think another you know, Olympic thing... gold medalist too, you know, you can't, you can't shake a, shake a stick at that either. So I think another thing kind of based on um, when you say, does this open the door? I think, and we can make a whole episode about players that aren't in the hall, but should be. Who should but I think be in and who shouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, or no, just players who should be and who aren't. Um, and I think with guys like Wilson and Ronick, there's grudges against them. And I think that eventually those grudges will, will die off or go away. Either the people who have them that's keeping them out will either retire, die, move on, go away, something. You know what I mean? Like, sure. and, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's something, but I mean, that, that's just my thought on that. So, yeah, I do think that some people that we think are snubs or who are overlooked will definitely get another look as as the committee changes. So um, who do you want to talk about next? We've got three down, three to go. Um, well, we can talk. Let's talk about Big Ned here. Um, so uh, Vaslav uh, Nedomansky goes in, right? Yes. When I saw his name on the list, I was like, who? Who is this guy? I didn't really know anything to, about this guy prior to his hall knock, other than I remember somebody talking at some point in time about Big Ned being a scout for the Golden Knights. Yep. And I didn't know who Big Ned was. I didn't really know his significance. And when I looked into it, it kind of shocked me that he wasn't already in the Hall of Fame. Um, Why because, because of his story. And I hoped he would have told his story 
when he got up there and gave his speech. And sure enough, he did. In fact, he told his entire life story in his thick, thick Czechoslovakian accent. Awesome. Um, so it awesome. was, I, it, you had to really follow it, but he really, I mean, he really delved into, you know, the plight of, you know, being from Czechoslovakia in a time where the Soviet Union came in and basically just took over and, you know, forced, you know, you know, forced a lot of things on, on people. You know, he played um, for the Czechoslovakian, I want to say the Czechoslovakian national team. Yes. He won nine medals with them. Nine medals in Olympic competition. That's that's crazy. Um, but there, it came to a point where he became the first European, like Eastern European player, to defect to North America. Mm-hmm. He was the first. He paved the way for that, I guess, deluge that came that was to come later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was unaware of his story and he kind of went into it. And, you know, there's some, there's some craziness that goes on with all of that stuff. That's like, that's like real life spy stuff, you know, mm-hmm. hiding in people's trunks and escaping across borders and, you know, being smuggled here and do this and do that. It's kind of crazy when you actually get into some of the details of, of what some of these guys had to go through just to come here to have a better life or at least a better opportunity at playing a game that they grew up playing and and that they love. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he got here and played for the the WHA uh, Toronto Toros. He was 30 years old at the time. By the time he actually made it to the NHL, which I also found out that he was one of the not one of, but the first trade between not only teams, but two organizations, the WHA traded. Yeah. Two, two different leagues. The WHA, a WHA player was traded to the NHL. (laughs) So he, he got traded to the, um, and he became a 33 year old rookie on the Detroit Red Wings. Um, so that's, it's an amazing story. So if you haven't, if you don't know about him, which I'm sure you know about him, but if there's listeners that don't know about him, look his story up and, and read about it. It's very, it's very fascinating as to, you know, how he got here and his whole experience and everything else. And, you know, he, he defected from his country. They, when they found out he left, they stripped his citizenship and destroyed all of his records. Like his Olympic records and his playing records. He was the leading goal scorer and assists and points and everything else in almost every category in their hockey records. And they basically wiped it out and said, nope, no, you're not. So let me ask you this question. It's more of an opinion uh, because you're, you know, you're very well researched on this. Um, So I just kind of want your opinion. So He's obviously, I mean, I'm looking at his stats and I know he had some good years with Detroit. Um, obviously he was, you know, like 
you know, the back half of his career by then. He was born in 44, so 54, 64, 74. So he didn't get to the WHA until he was like 30. So um, right, he was 30 on the Toros. And like I said, he was a 33-year-old rookie on Detroit. Right. So um, obviously he's he's not getting inducted on his just his time in the NHL. It's the whole body of work that he's getting inducted on, which they say the NHL should, or excuse me, the Hockey Hall of Fame should not be about a, merely a player's NHL accolades. It needs to be the whole body of work, which is why there was that argument about Sergei Makarov when everyone was like, oh, Sergei Makarov's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But he was, yeah, sure, he won Rookie of the Year, but he was 29 and he didn't really have that great of an NHL career. But it's like, yeah, but if you look at like the 10, 12 years before that, all of the above, the whole body of work, then yeah, he deserves to be there. So sure. He deserves to be there. I'm wondering though, like, do you do you think the Hall of Fame needs to maybe be a little less? Uh, there's see, there's an IIHF, International Hockey Hall of Fame, right? And then there's the USA, there's a US Hockey Hall of Fame. So I, I understand, like, the US Hockey Hall of Fame, they're going to say this is a really good American player. We're going to put them in, in in the Hall of Fame, right? Um, I, I the, believe the first requirement is you have to be born in the united states right but for the iihf i'm more you know it seems that they they obviously they recognize these guys that have like these crazy awesome statistics from international play and european play and stuff like that so i you know i'm actually looking i don't see i don't think i don't think natomanski's in the uh international hockey hall of Fame. <clears throat> and that may very well be but i'm wondering should do you See, okay, so we look at, like, Guy Carboneau, or we look at, like, certain players. Because, honestly, I was a little surprised about Guy Carboneau. But what you say about him, I go, yeah, okay, I could see why he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, right? Like, I understand now. But I'm just kind of – I'm wondering if if a player – like, if the IHF should be the Hall of Fame for international accolades only and the Hockey Hall of Fame should be for – I don't want to say NHL only, but it seems to skew that way a lot. Well, I think it skews that way simply because, I mean, that's the big show, right? Right, right. Um, I mean, look at how many guys that are career minor leaguers that are outstanding playing in the AHL and have had amazing careers. But you think they're going to make it into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Probably not. No. Um, You know, Tom Kostopoulos comes to mind. I think he's one of only like two players that that uh, played in something like over 500 NHL games and 500 minor league games. Uh huh. Um, so I mean that's an accomplishment, but you know, fat chance he's ever going to be appearing in a Hall of Fame. But mm-hmm. you know, a guy like Nedimansky, he's got all of that national inter- or international play background. And there's many guys in the Hall of Fame like that. And one of the big reasons is it's the Hockey Hall of Fame, not the NHL Hall of Fame. Right. Um, so, you know, if you're going to if you're going to limit it to just NHL players or professional players or just North American players, I think you'd have to change the name or definitely change criteria um, the way it is now. I think there's a lot of guys that are in there that. Saying that you have to have great NHL statistics will obviously would disqualify them. But part of that is they've expanded it to builders, which may not be players, but, you know, 
coaches, GMs, owners, things like that, that people like that that have you know done things for the sport. I mean, one of our other one of our other uh, entries this year was Jerry York. Mm-hmm. You know, guy's the winningest coach in NCAA hockey history. He's got over 1100 wins and he's still coaching. In fact, he missed all the festivities over the weekend to stay back with his team and coach them. He was there for the ceremony. Mm-hmm. He he got up and gave his speech, which he was the only one that I don't think his speech was rehearsed. He had mm-hmm. notes, but he just went off the cuff and just went all over the place with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guys won five NCAA titles. He's Boston College coach right now. He also coached at Bowling Green. He's been to the Frozen Four 12 times. I mean... You know, he's won the Hockey East title nine times. He's won the mm-hmm. Bean Pot nine times. You know, here's a guy that his resume is a million miles long. He's not been in the NHL. He's not even coached at a professional level mm-hmm. that I'm aware of. And I don't know that he actually, I mean, he did play hockey at one point, but he didn't play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but here's a guy that's well-respected you know, brought brought in to hockey conversations all the time as an authority on things and somebody's opinion that matters. I mean, hell, when Herb Brooks was trying to pick who he wanted on, you know, the USA men's Olympic team, better known as the Miracle on Ice team, who did he call? He called Jerry York. He's like, hey, come over here and help me figure out who we can put on this team and help, help me build this roster. So... I mean, he was obviously the great Herb Brooks relied on him and trusted him for something. And, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame and he's in the Hall of Fame on the merits of what he's done for hockey, not just pro hockey or NHL hockey or anything else. Right. So I I have no problem with with somebody like that actually making it into the hall with in Nedimansky's case. He was a pioneer. Um, he paved the way for a lot of people that came in front of him. I mean, look, there there would probably be no Yarmir Yager if it wasn't for Nedimansky. And let me I mean, just add this really quick. I mean, uh, there was uh, there were cases, and I forget the which year it was, but I know that if like there was pressure on Czechoslovakia if they, it's almost like they were allowed to be second best to Russia. But if they ever beat Russia in international competition, then Russia would usually tighten its control of the country. I believe that. Yeah. So, so there was, you know, I almost think that like Czechoslovakia would have been a better internet. They, they were always a threat in the seventies, you know, and, and then Omansky won, you know, some medals at, at the Olympics. Uh, but if they were just allowed to be themselves and not like have Russia basically controlling them, you know, and they had their own resources and they weren't, you know, basically under the rule of Russia. And then, you know, it's like they beat Russia and then Russia like puts more troops in their country to to occupy them more and stuff like that. Um, They would have probably been even better. And and Omansky would have been better. You know what I mean? Instead of like, well, you could be good, but not not as not better than us. Like we're going to always, you know, the Czech. I mean, that's why the 1998 
victory was so so big for for the Czech Republic because you know they they beat Russia to you know they they, they beat Russia and it was just like something that just never would have you know twenty years ago would have been like <laughs> would have been like like an imprisonable offense sure. You know, and, Yager and would have scored a goal and, and, and his family would go missing the next day. Well, and I think the same argument can be made for the Soviet Union teams, you know, later on, too. If if communism never would have fell the way it did and crumbled like it did, you wouldn't have saw all of those great Soviet players defecting, coming to the United States, going well, to Canada, like the- going to places like that and getting out of there. So that they could further their careers and actually come and play in the well, NHL and see if they could play. Very few of them defected, actually. Most of them that most of those guys that came in that like wave from eighty nine ninety, uh, they were released by their teams. The NHL teams had to pay money to the uh, the Russian. I forget the name of it. But basically, the Russian Hockey Federation needed the money, so they would sell the players to the NHL teams that own their rights. And then they would also take a percentage of their salary. That's why Larry Onoff up and went to Switzerland because he hated the fact that uh, Russia was getting part of his salary when he was playing in the NHL. So he, he went and played in Europe for a couple of years where they couldn't take his salary before coming back and, and playing for the Red Wings or taking a part of his salary. So, I mean, as far as defectors go, I mean, Peter Klima defected in 85, which is why he wore number 85. And, you know, he was Czech. Um, and then, um, of course, the Ned, uh, it's not Ned Feds, um, St- the Stasny brothers. And then you had, um, you know, and then as far as Russians go, you had McGilney. I mean, that was a big, big deal. And uh, Fedorov. Well. And then, yeah, but still, you know, I see what you mean. I totally. From, from a hockey player standpoint, an athlete standpoint. Big, big, big Ned is was the first domino, I think, that fell. Yes, it, you I mean, are absolutely right. It, and it took a little while for more of them to fell, but they eventually did. Um, so if you're going after his cards, he's got 51 of them, but good luck, because prior to uh, the 74-75 Opeachy WHA set, every card he had from 69 to that year was from either a Swedish or a Finnish set, and there aren't many out there. Um, so if you can find them, um, they're probably stuck in a sticker album. <laughs> yeah, they, they very well could be. So, um, so finally, I guess, I guess there's one left on it last, but not least. And, um, I kind of saved her for last because Haley Wickenheiser's speech at the, at the uh, ceremony was by far the best. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. She was, um. The things that she had to say and the way she said it and the way her whole uh, gratitude and everything, you know, to the people that came before her and even to NHL guys and, and players that she looked up to growing up and everything else was, it was outstanding. It was really, really well put together, well thought out um, speech. And if you don't watch any of the whole entire show, you can watch hers. I mean, it was, it was really good. In fact, it was so good that she even stopped in the middle of it in the beginning because when they went to commercial break, she was sitting next to big Ned in the audience. And he must've mentioned to her that the whole entire time he was up there rambling 
And you could see he was getting nervous when he was doing his speech because he started swaying back and forth and stuff. Um, he forgot to thank his wife. <laughs> so he must have said something to her in the commercial break. So when she was up there talking, she's like, oh, by the way, I, I, I'm probably not supposed to do this, but, but can, we, can we get Nedovansky back up here? He has a couple more things to say. So he comes up onto the thing and she stopped her speech in the middle of it and let him talk for like five more minutes to thank his wife. And so I thought that was pretty cool. I've never wow. seen something like that happen before. So, yeah, so that was cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, her speech was really good. Um, you know, 23-year career in Canadians' women's hockey programs. Um, you know, she, re she retired in 2017, uh, and this was her first year of eligibility for the Hall. So, I mean, she went in right off, right off the bat. Um, four gold medals, seven more in the world championships. I mean, nobody's got that kind of hardware. Um, you know, she played in Finland for a minute. She's the first woman on record to score a point in a men's league in Finland. Um, you know, she, she was invited and participated in two different rookie camps for the flyers. Um, you know, she's got done guest coaching, you know, for Toronto, for Edmonton, and she's even the assistant director of player development for the Maple Leafs right now. And she's going to med school pretty much full time. So, and she was a softball player. Yeah. This, I mean, she's done a ton, and she's done a ton to further women's hockey as a sport. And, you know, the fact that she's going in, was she the ninth? Seventh or ninth woman elected. To, uh, uh, I want to say. I think it might be it's either seventh or the ninth. Well, Angela James gave her the plot, gave seventh, her her plot. Seventh, I the think. Seventh? I think yeah. so. You know, because I know. Um, yeah, I've, I've. Sorry, I'm bad. I'm bad with remembering who went in what, what years. But anyway, so Angela James gave her the plaque, which was appropriate. Yeah, yeah and one of the story she told about that was um you know angela james was like the 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 captain or the veteran you know leadership yes. on the first team that she played on and you know she was i think um oh, who was it was talking was it cammy granado made mention of the fact that you know her she saw her when she was like 13 mm -hmm. uh, playing and she thought this girl is insane and amazingly good. And, you know, when she makes it up to like, you know, the older, the older squads and, and eligible, you know, she'll be a force to be reckoned with. Well, then mm -hmm. it was only a couple years later that she goes into, you know, camp to train for, you know, the national team and here's this girl who's like 15 years old or something. And it's the same, it's her, it's <laughs> Haley Wickenheiser playing on a team with like 18, 19 year old, old girls. And she was just out there just smoking everybody. Um, but a lot of, a lot of her speech centered around, you know, wanting to play the game and wanting to play it so bad that she was willing to deal with anything that was dealt to her. 
So all of the discrimination and all of the, you know, the name calling and being made fun of and everything else, she didn't care. She was going to do whatever it took. And that, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what she did. And it, it was interesting because they showed tons and tons of pictures of her as a kid growing up playing hockey. And every one of those pictures, and because I already knew, if I wouldn't have known better, it looked like a boy mm-hmm. in every picture. Because mm-hmm. she, I mean, that's one of the things she said. She had to try to look like a boy so that people would leave her alone. Right. Um, you know, she talks about going, showing up and, and loving to go to practice, loving to get out there on the ice, but having to show up earlier than everybody else, going and changing in the bathroom because she couldn't go into the locker room with mm-hmm. the boys, and then having to walk out of the bathroom and walk past all of the parents that were snickering and making comments and everything else. And, you know, to hear that and, you know, you think about that, and I think you take a lot of that stuff for granted especially when you start talking about these players that are, you know, the best of the best mm-hmm. to think of all these things that they actually went through to get to that point. It's kind of, I mean, these, these are amazing stories that they tell. And I think she painted a really, really vivid picture of kind of what she dealt with go, coming up and, and how she got to be where, where she is today. And I think by far hers was, the best speech out of out of everybody yeah that is awesome and i you know the other women and yeah she is the seventh i i just did a quick uh quick count uh seventh woman to be inducted into the hockey hall of fame and a lot of them have those stories about wanting to play hockey and oh there's not a girls hockey team and they had to play on a boys hockey team and they would excel and they'd get singled out and they'd get picked on and they'd get made fun of and they never got to you know feel that that camaraderie or that experience. Um, I mean, it's even, this is kind of like an obtuse example, but like I play, uh, I play beer league hockey. I run a, a pickup game every Monday night also among other low level hockey players, low to mid level, but most of us are like beginners or like with less than 10 years of experience somewhere around there. And like the guys will be in one locker room. The guys will be in another locker room because there's so many of us. And then it'll be like maybe one, or two women who play in our group and they'll be, you know, there's like a women's locker room. That's really just a glorified bathroom. And most of the time it's just my girlfriend. So she changes by herself. And then she's just like, Oh, you guys sound like you're having so much fun in there talking. And so, you know, something changed. I got to know some other people and get more people in my hockey group. Now we have like seven or eight women coming to our game. We might have like 24 people and like a third of them now are women. So I have to, get them like an actual locker room and I could just hear down the hall how much fun they're having just just the camaraderie and the talking to you know having to get getting to do that you know and I've, I've played with some women who've insisted on changing with the men because they just say I like being part of the team I like being a part of the conversation and you know it's like obviously we're all adults we're not staring at each other or we turn around or this that or the other thing um you know and I'm not going to get into like if that's right or wrong. It just is. But I, I think it's it's it actually kind of makes me happy that like the one or two women that play in our group now. There's like seven or eight of them, and they're it, it's a more inclusive environment. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's sure. it's it's a more inclusive environment. And I always feel bad when I hear those stories about like you know um, 
you know, and another thing that like, I mean, my sister and I didn't really play sports growing up, but the thing is, is that my sister was never told that she couldn't do something because she was a girl. Like when I took karate, my sister also took karate. Uh, if my sister wanted to play, like she played tennis and softball in high school and, you know, she wasn't told no. But the other thing is, is like when we were little kids, if I went to buy a, a Star Wars figure and she wanted a Star Wars figure, she got one too. Or if I bought, I would buy a Transformer and she'd pick out a Transformer that she liked too. She wasn't like, oh, you're a girl, you need to play with this Barbie doll. My mom was always like, yeah, if you want a Transformer, cool, pick one out, you know, and it's, and, and I know this is going to sound really kind of obvious but that's how it should be and it's not and i know it's a lot harder with sports because then you get into like oh there's not enough locker rooms and actually i'll, I'll tell you this here's another thing when the chicago blackhawks a couple years ago um announced that they were building a practice facility that was going to have two full sheets of ice it's it's been open for a couple years no it now it's called fifth third arena or something like that it used to be mb arena or mb ice whatever so but they got bought by fifth third but anyway they announced we're building this two rink facility and she wrote them a letter and she said please make enough locker rooms for this so that the women have a place to change because i am so tired of changing in a bathroom or in the first aid room or an equipment closet because, you know, there might be a hockey class and it's going to be 12 guys and two women and the two women are going to be basically be given a glorified closet to train it, uh, to, to change it. And they did, they actually, they have a lot of locker rooms at that facility. So they work that into the, the plan to make sure that there's enough, uh, enough space for everybody. Um, and that's good. I mean, that's good that that's, that's where that's headed. Obviously, it doesn't mean, yay, we're all equal now. No. I mean, there's still going to be a lot of problems. But, yeah, it is a little heartbreaking to hear those kinds of stories. But it's also heartwarming to hear how they overcame them and they, they succeeded and they thrived and now they're in the hall. Well, what's the old saying? What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what and that's 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 kind of that's kind of the situation you have here. But you know, speaking of, it's a shame. You got to look at her cards. She's only, she's got 115 cards that are out there. Yep. Kaylee Wickenheiser does. And you know, with her first card being in the '94 Classic, uh, it was a women's of hockey insert. Yep. That was all gold foily. And I think I have that sitting here somewhere. Um, <clears throat> but technically, her real rookie card, so to speak, was the 97-98 Collector's Choice uh, when they did the, uh, um, what was it, like the international play the, the team subset Canada, that was in the there? Team Canada Women's, uh, women's <laughs> team National Canada. Team. Yeah, that set had... Yeah, um, so... Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were being polite. We were waiting for the other one to finish. Yeah. You know, it's really visionary how... The 94 classic set had the women of hockey insert set because that was the year they announced hockey's going to be women's hockey is going to be a medal sport in the 98 Olympics and classic that year. I mean, classic was always kind of on board. I mean, they had men on Rium as a, as a spokesperson. They made cards of her. They made cards of uh, Cami Granato. They made cards of Aaron Witten, who was another accomplished uh, female goaltender. Uh, and they, um, 
they made that women of hockey subset, which was just so visionary for its time. But you know what? Classic did offbeat stuff like that. But I got to tell you, like maybe in 98, some people might've been like, Oh, the women's hockey Canadian team cards in this collector's choice set. These are kind of nice. I get either you were really excited about it or really indifferent about it. But you know, looking back 20 years later, Man, there are some Hall of Famers in that set now. And it's just, I mean, there I, thought, is. I thought it was cool in, back in the day, but it's its kind of cool now. Like, you know, you wait a long time and you look back and you go, oh, wow, you know, Angela James is in this set. And, uh, you know, Danielle Goyette and uh, uh, Haley Wickenheiser, you know, its it, it's pretty damn cool. It- it, it is. And the, the travesty of that whole thing is it comes from an era where, you know, again, that's part of the whole overproduction cycle of, of cards. And, you know, you can find these. Well, you probably can't find them because nobody even bothers to put them anywhere. But if you do, they're in quarter and dime boxes at shows and card shops, you know, around the country. Now, since her hall nod, I've seen singles of that uh, collector's choice one go for about a buck or so. But I mean, honestly, these are like forgotten, forgotten about. And that's kind of, it's kind of sad considering here's a person that if, if she was a guy, she'd be Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Cause she's literally the Wayne Gretzky of women's hockey and well, she holds all the records. So, and, you know, what's funny is, you know, before there was a uh, uh, Haley Wickenheiser, there was Angela James, of course. And, I remember it was at the, um, it wasn't the national in 2019. It was a national in 2017, but it was a good, uh, I think she was inducted in 09 or 2010 or something around there. Um, I found an Angela James signed card for like, it was either $2 or $3. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I don't even think the guy knew who, it was. He just had a rummage box Probably of hockey not. autographs for $3 each. And I might have picked out one or two players that I just go, oh, yeah, I know this guy. I, like. I mean, I think I picked out a Tommy Wingles autograph, and this was before he played for the Blackhawks, just because I knew he was from Chicago. So I'm like, oh, yeah, Tommy Wingles, sure, $3. And I'm like, Angela James? Really? This isn't a $3 box? Really? You know, and I bought, I was like, to me, that was like one of the finds. I mean, that's like what I like about collecting when you just find something awesome like that. Because, I mean, if that was on in, a, in the case and said $10, I would have been like, yeah, here's $10. I want that card. You know, she's a Hall of Famer. I mean, we collect, we collect, we collect the players that we like. We collect the players that we have a connection to. We, have, we collect the players that we watched either as a kid or as an adult. But we also collect the players that we admire because I never saw Maurice Richard play but I want his cards, you know what yeah. I mean? Or I never saw Gordy Howe play, but I would love to have a Gordy Howe rookie card. So, I mean, even though I can't say I'm the most well-versed on women's international hockey, of course I knew who Angela James is, and I would want an autographed card by her and getting one for $3. And, you know, it's just funny because I, I told my girlfriend about that. She just shook her head. She's like, yeah, no respect for women's hockey. And I'm like, no, but it's it's getting there. It's, it's There is, but hasn't like you said they're all in the quarter boxes right now and they need to migrate right. migrate over what needs to happen is somebody needs to suck it up and put up the money to actually get this women's hockey league up off the ground again and 
you know, that's what needs to happen. And if it's the NHL that needs to step in, then so be it. So we're getting a little long in the tooth here. So why don't we, um, why don't we wrap it up by uh, maybe you want to talk about Don Cherry's uh, new podcast, which is going to compete with the sure. Park Jump podcast to be the, the best new podcast of 2019, <laughs> even though this isn't exactly a new podcast. It just came back after two years off. But uh, yeah, Don Don Cherry, <clears throat> his son and his grandson, I'm assuming his grandson's doing all the technical work. Yeah, I'm not sure they didn't really address that too much. Um, I li- I gave it a listen for the first episode just because I'm like, hey, why not? And so he's got the podcast going called The Grapevine. Uh, and those that may be familiar with Don Cherry, they used to have a show back in the 80s called The Grapevine where he yes. would sit down and he would interview players and coaches and whoever he decided to get on the show. So. They spent most of the first episode, of course, the first 10, 15 minutes of it was, I shouldn't say that long, maybe the first eight minutes of it, because it's only like 25 minutes long. That's it? Um, That's it for the first episode. I don't know if they're going to go longer than that or not, but this one was 25 minutes. He spent a little bit in the beginning talking about being fired, and he basically came out again and said, hey, I said what I said, and I stick by what I said. You know, I wanted the opportunity to go on the air and talk about it and they wanted me to do things that i wasn't willing to do so say la vie um but anyway once they got past that um his son basically said that um the show's gonna kind of be centered around just don telling his stories um, okay. making comments about you know current events in, in the nhl mm-hmm. and really they're going to use that as a platform to resurrect the grapevine episodes from the 80s and they're going to take um, clips and things from a lot of those shows and kind of splice them into these shows and then comment about them now and have Don kind of elaborate more on them and tell stories. And like we talked about in an episode before where, you know, you said this guy's got a, a memory like a steel trap and remembers everything and everyone. That's pretty much what most of this interview was. They replayed an interview he did with Rocket Richard. Um, and then he just, the rest of the show was him just going on and on telling stories of that one led to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and that's pretty much what it was. So Were you entertained? Um, um, I was up to a point and then I, he lost me because he just went off on a tangent about stuff and. I couldn't follow his story. It was just all over the place. Hold on. We go off on tangents all the time. Yeah, but at least they have a subject. This, (laughs) he was going, it was, I don't know what he was talking. I lost track of what he was even talking about because it was just like, oh, and, you know, and Billy Smith from blah, blah, blah did this and that and that. Oh, and then Joe, you know, you remember Joe, he was that guy that did this. And I mean, it was just bounced from one thing to the next. So. I know it was their first show. I know they were just trying to, you know, work out the kinks and obviously figure out what they're going to do going forward. But, uh, you know, it was same old Don just telling, you know, speaking his mind and telling, uh, telling his story. So, um, I don't think it's going to be a coach's corner setup. you know, his little seven minute rampage on whatever topic was going on in the NHL. I don't think it's going to be that at all. I think it's going to be more nostalgia and, you know, memories and that kind of thing 
and that's that's the kind of stuff that I like best from Don Cherry because, I, you know, when he'd say, oh, look at this kid scoring his first NHL goal, you look at that, right? And it was like, okay, that's nice, you know, and they're, they'll probably be ha- probably more for the player, like, yeah, Don Cherry gave me a call out or a shout out on his show. And I get that, but I wasn't interested in that because I could see those highlights other times. I liked it when he had an opinion about something that was controversial but hockey-related. Or, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, we both, and, you know, we're, like I said, we're kind of getting a little long, but, I mean, we'd both love to know what he'd think about uh, Garnet Hathaway's suspension or Matt Calvert's injury and, you know, them not blowing the whistle uh, or even Mike Babcock getting fired. Um, I want to know what Don thinks of these things, right? And Maybe he'll talk about those in his ne- next podcast, but that's the kind of stuff I wanted in Coach's Corner, you know, and 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 I, I understand he wanted to rep- respect the military, but... Once he starts getting into politics, yeah, that's when it's like you got needed to be roped back in. So it's interesting that you say that he's going to basically focus it on telling stories, playing old interviews, and giving his opinions on the NHL. Like, that's that's kind of what it should be. Yeah, that seems to be kind of what the way it's headed. And even during the show, his son kind of said, you know, it it was in the air. They were gunning for you. You said some things before, and you knew they were gunning for you, and we kind of figured it was going to happen, and so that was <laughs> that was the catalyst, and it's done. So, yeah, I mean, with the Mike Babcock being fired thing being fresh, I'm sure that'll be on his next episode, I would imagine, because I'm sure he's got a lot of things to say about that, as well, many people do. Well, what do you got to say? <laughs> Might as well. In for a penny, in for a what pound. What do I got to say? Yeah, and I'll just throw out some quick stats here. Uh, The Leafs were 9, 10, and 4 so far this season. Um, He was uh, partway into the fifth year of an eight-year deal that was paying him $50 million over the eight-year span, or $6.25 million a year, which means that he could not coach the rest of this year and the next two years and still make $6.25 million for the rest of this year, the next year, and the year after. Or as Tim famously said a couple of years ago, Mike Babcock could make a house out of money. Not with the, buying a house with the money. He could literally build a house with the money yes. that he makes. It, and he can. And the, the crazy part about all this is most of that he's already been given. Most of that contract. So Yeah, yeah he's, he's I, more than halfway up. But... But they got to pay him anyway, unless he gets hired by another team. Then that right. team is going to pay him. Well, and that's, you know, that that's obviously something that will be spoken about in the next few days is where does he go next and what is he going to do and does he want to coach and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at least in the short term, look, people have been talking about this for weeks. Yep. Is he going to stay? Are they going to fire him? What's going to happen? I didn't expect them to fire them, fire him today. I thought they would, just not this quickly. Because, let's face it, with Kyle Dubas running that team, he was not his coach. I mean, that that is not who he wanted as the coach of that team. Right. Babcock was not hired by Dubas. He... You know, wasn't brought in there to make some kind of earth-shattering change to the team by Dubas, like he wanted to do. He was a leftover 
from Lou. And once Lou was gone, you knew it was only a matter of time. Because uh-huh. the way Dubas wanted to build a team is he wanted to build it like you see. Fast, young, dynamic players that go out there and put an exciting product on the ice. Mm-hmm. They may not win, but you're sure going to have fun in, in, because of the guys they got. Look, uh, I need you to actually it. say that last part again because you cut out there for a minute. You said uh, young, fast team, how he's like, building well, it. A young, it fast, exciting team. He built a young, fast, exciting team, mm-hmm. and that's – that that's great they may not always win but you're sure gonna have a good time when you go and watch the Leafs play and that's what that's the product that they're putting on the ice that's not the product that Mike Babcock coaches Babcock is set in his ways he doesn't like line changes that are different than what they practice he doesn't like mixing things up he doesn't like playing situational type hockey he doesn't like breaking, taking guys out. He doesn't like subbing people. He doesn't like using backups. You know, he likes to play tight defensive style. Dubas didn't build the team for that. He built it for excitement. So they have self-inflicted salary cap issues because they overpaid, and this is purely my opinion, they overpaid Nylander, they overpaid Marner, they overpaid Matthews. The amount of money that they're giving these guys the fact that four players are taking up $40 million of their salary cap and they have no D-men on their team, they have no backup goaltenders. I mean, look, how are you going to how do you expect to win and go into the postseason when you have no points from any of your backup goaltenders? None. No you points win from that your way. backup goaltenders? Yeah. Oh, you no mean points. oh yeah. No, points, no in points in the standings. In the, yeah, no points in the standings. Yeah. All your points are from your your starting goaltender. You have to get points from your backups. You have to. And they have none. I mean, the team gave up on them. I mean, it was clear that the team wasn't listening to Babcock anymore. They didn't care. I mean, that was evident. And, yeah, I'm a homer and I root for the Penguins. But that game against the Penguins where they put out that rookie goaltender who played in his very first game ever and got shellacked, that was eye-opening because they weren't playing at all in front of him you feel was, bad for that kid i felt horrible bad. for him and i don't feel bad for anybody that gets destroyed by pittsburgh and Wait. i felt bad for him because the team quit and they just weren't playing and it's like okay do you blame that on babcock or do you blame that on the team or was it <laughs> this some coup that was just designed to get him out of there i mean look sheldon keith I don't know the guy. I don't know a lot about him other than I know he was Kyle Dubas's guy and he was his guy from the beginning. They wouldn't have re-upped his contract with the Marlies for two more years, like a few months ago, if he wasn't the heir apparent to take over that job. Right. You know, they had worked together before. And, and Grant, this guy's got a great junior hockey record. I mean, it's outstanding. If you pull up, you know, he won five like what five straight championships in the CCHL with the Pembroke Lumberjacks, and then went on. He coached in the Sioux. He had like a ninety-eight wins for them, and with the Marlies, like he was like one ninety-nine and eighty-nine was his record with the Marlies. Best team in the AHL twice. 
been to the playoffs like nine times. They won their first Calder Cup. I mean, this guy, it's like he can't miss. So, of course, he was going to be the heir apparent to that job. It was just a matter of time before they got to a point where there could be enough excuses to say, okay, Babcock, bye-bye, you got to go. I think what's interesting is that you've seen teams uh, that have struggled, that have had coaching changes early on in the year, and then they've turned it around, and then in some cases they've even won the the Stanley Cup. So like the oh, couple, you mean like the Penguins? Well, I was actually gonna and go the St. Louis Blues. And I was actually going to go a little bit back further to um, the Kings when they fired Daryl Sutter. Okay. And they hired his replacement, whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but uh, they uh, they won the cup, and then yeah. Penguins, they fired their coach. They brought in... Uh, like Babcock? No, 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 Penguins, Penguins. Oh, yeah, they brought in... Uh, um, Sullivan. Mike Sullivan. And then I was they trying to think of the, that year. I was trying to think of the name of the coach they had before that. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, the Blues. You know, it's funny because, yeah. like, with the Most Blues... Most recent with the Blues. Yeah. Right, and so I, I wondered, does this mean that, well... It makes you wonder. I mean, obviously, a good coach. Don't tell me win. you think Toronto's going to win the cup now. Well, I don't know, but I mean, I I they think have no defense. I, I think they don't have a backup goalie that can stop stuff. Um, I I think that a lot. I, I think now that 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 coaching has become a little bit devalued because now you're looking. You have three examples in the past ten years where team has fired coach, team has made coaching change team has won Stanley Cup. But if the coach loses the locker room, who's to say that that's not the catalyst that spurs winning those guys back and getting them to play together as a team and buy in? Either way, it's 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 a coaching change that's that that has to happen first. So I'm just saying that it's kind of funny that like a lot of times you'd say you know, okay, yeah, I had a mid-season coaching replacement, or sometimes they'd wait till the end of the season, you know, because they just knew. But I, I feel like it, it's early enough in the season where they're saying, you know what, we got a lot of time. We're only 25% into the season. We got a lot of time. We could turn things. Look at the Blues last year. Look at how horrible they were, and they, and they fired yeah. their coach. And, and um, Worst team in hockey halfway yeah. through. Yeah, and then they won the Cup. So, I'm not saying that every team is going to say, oh, well, that's the recipe for success. Fire your coach mid-season. I was just going to say, is that the new is that the new offensive speed blueprint? No, but what I think is that I think that this is, is saying that if you're going to make a coaching change, do it sooner than later. You know, like that's the yeah. that's the money that you can. I mean, the money is going to cost the money, but it doesn't count against the salary cap. You know, it's not like. It's not like Babcock's salary is counting against the Maple Leaf salary cap. So if they fire him and they still have to pay him, okay. But then they could bring in another, you know, they bring in another coach who they're paying far less, and they start winning and and their fortunes turn around. Then it's worth it. You know what I mean? It's worth it to basically buy out the coach, even though you're firing him and still paying him full price, right? I think more is going to come out of this. As days go by and we'll start to learn more. I mean, here here's the other here's the other thing. 
we were talking about Toronto. We're talking about hockey Mecca where all of the news media is. And it's hard enough, you know, being an NHL coach. It's got to be that much harder to be an NHL coach in Toronto. It has to be because you're constantly under the spotlight and there's a microphone and a camera in your face like all the time. And they're always looking for a soundbite. They're always looking for a story. And they're always looking for a reason to put blame on you or someone for why things aren't going the way they are. And even when they are going good, they find things to nitpick. Oh, you're the best team in hockey, but your power play kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you know, you're, 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 you're on a 12-game winning streak. Oh, but you haven't scored a shorthanded goal. I mean, it it it's like dumb stuff like that. And yeah, and you know, actually... The Toronto media is fickle. Well, and, and now I feel really bad because I just realized something. I always complain about how much coverage the Maple Leafs get. And damn it, we just covered the Maple Leafs. Yeah, well... And I feel dirty now. So I think we need to end it because... I, I I don't want to give any more lip service to a team that just gets so much play. You know, next week we'll talk about the Arizona Coyotes just to just to balance things in the hockey universe. Just to just to balance, you know, the, the stars. Well, the last thing that I will say about this is yes. you now you now have to update your coach's rookie card list to include Sheldon Keefe. Oh, so well, all of the. Do you know what his rookie card is? He played yeah. 125 NHL games. What? Yeah. what? They're all from 99-2000. So he's oh, got... The year he, I didn't collect. Yeah, he's got an SPA, a Tops, an Upper Deck, a Black Diamond, an MVP, an Ovation, a Victory, Ultimate Victory. So. Okay, yeah, I'll have to update my rookie card, my list of uh, hockey... Uh, so, rookie cards for the NHL coaches. You can, uh, you can finally eliminate that one... Goofy looking Mike Babcock card. I like that card. He's got. I love the fact that Babcock's haircut has not changed in like thirty years. No, like neither, I wonder if neither has sculpted. his coaching style. I wonder if it's just sculpted on. You know what I mean? Like Could it's be. just. It's like uh, you know. Um, but uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Podcast. As I mentioned before, I will be at the Chicago Sports Spectacular this weekend, selling hockey t-shirts maybe some hockey cards and collectibles if i have time to bring some with and uh, also if you are interested in any of that stuff you can go to shop.puckjunk.com but until then thank you for listening and we will talk to you again next week for more hockey goodness follow us on twitter at puck junk <laughs>